Good afternoon, Dr. Dan Guerra here from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 20th of December, 2021. We only have four more days and then it'll be Christmas Eve and wonderful season will be upon us. Recall what I'm doing now in these lectures after we've finished that long arc on aging is I'm taking biomolecular regulators and uh, a, usually it is a specific enzyme or it could be maybe a regulation around an entire pathway, for example, discussing redox or something like that, that I'm going to put as a key feature as the central element and then uh, develop lectures around it. So the first one I chose, remember I was going by alphabet. I wanted to take something that started with an A. I could have chosen uh, carboxylase, which is rate limiting enzyme and genova fatty acid synthesis. I did think about that, but I thought that would be just too much the lipid biochemist in me to do that. And it would be more like, you know, be too much fun for me and maybe wouldn't be as much fun for the rest of the audience. So I decided to take something a little bit more uh, neutral, and that was the AMP kinase. Now, I will admit, okay, I have to admit this, AMP kinase, of course, is definitely involved in the regulation of lipid metabolism, and particularly beta-oxidation of fatty acids. And I think I did mention that, oh, more than once probably over the last several years since I've been doing lectures about AMP kinase. So I will admit that. Okay, but uh, it is an enzyme. So uh, let's get right back into it. Um, and let me flesh out some more about what I know about AMP kinase. Now, first of all, I want to take you into a different area. Now, this is, of course, going to be a neuroendocrine um, aspect. And this will bring us right back to AMP kinase very soon. I want you to know that there is a leptin melanocortin pathway. And now leptin is an adipokine. That means by definition, it is a hormone that is generated in the adipose that functions in the central nervous system to control a much larger neuroendocrine and neuroimmune pathway. Okay. So it's called the leptin melanocortin pathway. And so in this instance here, you've got pro-opiomelanocortin neurons. And those are found in the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus. Okay, And they produce, after activation by leptin binding to its receptor, <clears throat> the alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone or alpha MSH, which then will activate its own receptor, the melanocortin 4 receptor, and there's multiple ones, obviously, and this one's called MC4R, and that is found in the paraventricular nucleus, and that actually results in a satiety signal. So there's a separate set of neurons I can also report to you that are expressed in a very close region, and those are the NPY, neuropeptide Y, and the agouti-related protein, or AGRP, neurons. And they produce molecules that act as potent inhibitors of the melanocortin-4 receptor, 
which of course it, it receives as its major ligand, the alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone or alpha MSH. Okay, so you get that. Now, there are other proteins involved, um, and one of them is the brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Uh, and so we'll mention a little bit about that regulation. And remember, we're going to feed this right back into AMP kinase. So leptin, as generated by the adipocytes, will bind to its leptin receptor in the arcuate nucleus. And it'll encounter those two neurons, the MPY neuron and the POMC neuron. Now, when it encounters the POMC neuron, okay, it's going to act to promote the propiomelanocortin pathway. Now, that's something I'm going to mention in a minute. I know I've talked about it in previous lectures, but that is a huge polyprotein that will be processed by enzymes that are proteases, endoproteases, which we call convertases. And they'll convert that large polypeptide into multiple peptides, all of which have key roles in the neuroendocrine system and the neuroimmune system. But the one that I'm mentioning right now, which is the alpha MSH, it's a very small peptide. And that will positively, of course, stimulate that MC4R receptor. That will then trigger a protein called SIM1, which has got a really cool name. It's called single-minded one. And that protein will be uh, turned on in the paraventricular nucleus. And it will then stimulate in the ventromedial nu uh, nucleus the TRKB protein. And that will then uh, stimulate the BDNF. Okay, and, and remember all of these, so the BDNF, remember, is the brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which can actually induce neurogenesis, okay? Uh, likewise, when this is all going in this way, with leptin binding to its receptor, the LEPR, turning on the POMC neuron, generating alpha-MSH, uh, responding to its receptor, the MC4R in the paraventricular nucleus, all of that ultimately at the physiological level will reduce food intake and increase energy expenditure, okay? It's, it's, no, it's a way of signaling from the adipose, well-fed state. Now, that's one half of the process. And the other half of the process is leptin binds to the receptor that is associated with the NPY neuron. The NP, when that is triggered, that's a negative effector. The NPY neuron will normally inhibit the POMC neuron and would also inhibit via AGRP the MC4R receptor. Okay, so POMC and MPY neurons then act to control each other's function, right? So leptin is a negative regulator of the NPY and a positive regulator of the of the uh, LPR for the POMC nuclei. So I wanted you to understand that, okay? So let's go into a little bit more detail here because it's kind of fun. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to mention to you about another transcript. It's called the CART, C-A-R-T, and that stands for Cocaine and Amphetamine Regulated Transcript. That's also a satiety factor. 
and it's actually very closely associated with the action of leptin and that neuropeptide Y. So this CART is an anorectic peptide because it inhibits both normal and starvation-induced feeding. And it completely blocks the feeding response induced by neuropeptide Y as regulated by leptin in the hypothalamus, what I just went through, okay? So once again, you've got uh, NPY and AGRP, which normally trigger appetite, and the POMC in the CART, you see, so the propiomelanocortin, as well as the cocaine and amphetamine regulated transcript, those depress appetite. And remember, when the leptin binds to its receptor in the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus, is it positively stimulates the POMC CART pathway, and it negatively controls the NPYAGRP pathway. Now, now a little bit about neuropeptide. Why? It is a neuropeptide that's widely expressed throughout the central nervous system. So there are many of NPY um, um, nuclei and, and therefore receptors, okay? And indeed, neurons that are totally devoted to NPY and AGRP. So I want you to understand that. And what the NPY does is it influences all kinds of processes, including cortical excitability, stress stimulation, food intake, because it increases the appetite, okay, the appetitive stage of the reward pathway, right, in that arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus. Uh, And it also controls MPY circadian rhythms and indeed cardiovascular tonicity. So the neuropeptide functions through G-protein coupled receptors, and what it does basically is inhibit adenocyclase. So you inhibit the synthesis of cyclic AMP. At the same time, it activates the MAP kinase or mitogen-activated protein kinase pathway and therein regulates intracellular calcium levels and actually also controls via activation potassium voltage-gated channels. Okay. So now you get the idea of what's going on with the um, interplay between the POMC and the CART neurons and the NPY AGRP neurons in relationship to leptin binding, leptin being synthesized, secreted, and sent to the central nervous system from the adipocyte. The more adipose, the more leptin until you get to leptin resistance. Wait for that. It's coming up soon. All right. So let's talk a little bit more since we're here and this is authentic biochemistry after all, about the POMC locus, okay? It's something worthwhile mentioning uh, because it's critical to understanding the neuroendocrine system, especially as it's associated with diet, and that's linked directly to AMP kinase. You know how I think through these things. These things are all networked, and so I'm taking you precisely where the mind needs to go, (laughs) in order for you to understand AMP kinase. So you've got this huge protein called the POMC, and it gets clipped by a protein convertase type 1,3 into a pro-ACTH. Okay, it's adrenocortico um, uh, uh, stimulating hormone, okay? 
So the proACTH itself then will be clipped by two more protease convertases. They're the same ones that started the process. These are the PC13s. And they're going to make a series of smaller peptides now from those fragments. It's going to make the N-terminal POMC pro-gamma MSH. It's going to make a protein called JP. It's going to make the ACTH protein itself. Okay. And it's going to make a beta LPH. All right. So again, you've got this pro-ACTH after the initial cleavage of the POMC. Now, that is the adrenocorticotropic hormone, okay? And now in the hypothalamus and in the skin and in the pars intermediary of the pituitary, this ACTH will then be further cleaved, okay? So that was the next processing I just mentioned to you, by a PC2, and that's going to produce just the ACTH peptide 1 to 17. Okay, so it's just going to be a 17 amino acid peptide at this point. And it's going to produce this protein called CLIP, okay, which is basically uh, a corticotropin-like intermediate peptide. And the, en- the enzyme carboxypeptidase E then cleaves a bunch of basic amino acid residues from the carboxy terminus, and that allows then an amidation by a peptidylglycine alpha amidating monooxygenase. It's also known as PAM for short. And that's going to form then what's known as the desacetyl, that means non-acetylated alpha MSH. It's also known as DA alpha MSH. Okay. So, you start to get an idea how these fragments are finally put together in May. There's a whole series of further reactions which will occur. So you've got the gamma-3 MSH that came from the N-terminal POMC pro-gamma MSH. You've got ACTH1 through 17, that smaller peptide that came from the larger ACTH peptide, and CLIP is another is the other fragment. Then you got this beta-LPH, Okay, Um, and that's the beta lipotropic hormone, the beta LPH. And that gets clipped by a protein convertase 2 into the gamma LPH, into the beta EP, which is actually beta endorphin. That's why this whole locus has an opioid signature, because that is an endogenous opioid. Now, the gamma LPH will be further converted via PC2 to beta MSH. Okay, there's multiple forms going on here. I already told you that the ACTH is clipped by CPE, making this desacetyl alpha MSH. And it that can be acetylated, either monoacetylated or diacetylated to make the two different other alpha MSH forms mono and diacetylated MSH, when those are considered to be the most potent forms of that peptide hormone binding to its receptor, like the MCR4 we just mentioned, right? Then triggering that whole other response that I just went through at the physiological level. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about this because we're we're on this track. Remember, it's still going to get to AMPK, don't worry. 
Now, I want to tell you that the hypothalamic arcuate nucleus is involved in all kinds of control of energy intake. That's what we've been talking about, the appetitive phase of the central nervous system, but also expenditure. And it can participate in the pathogenesis, in fact, of two well-known diseases. One is anorexia nervosa, AN, and the other is bulimia nervosa, or BN. Now, there are two systems of particular interest in this respect, and they're synthesizing the alpha-melanocyte-stimulating hormone, the alpha-MSH, but also the neuropeptide Y, and that those two systems then respectively have a role to play in the pathogenesis there. So it turns out over 75% of anorexia nervosa patients, this is a human study that was done back in, way, in, way back in 2002, uh, over 75% of them and or in bulimia patients had in their plasma antibodies that bind to melanotropes and or corticotropes. This is just a generic name for the melanocortins and the corticotropins. And this was first studied in uh, the rat pituitary, but we see this in humans as well. Now, among the sera of the uh, study that was done with humans, eight were found to bind selectively. They had the antibody to alpha MSH positive neurons and their hypothalamic and extra hypothalamic projections as revealed with immunostaining, okay? So it looks like they're making antibodies if they're either anorexic or bularemic. Remember, this is about the leptin adipokine pathway. Don't worry, we're going to get to the AMPK, AMPK. Now, adsorption of that sera with an alpha MSH peptide abolishes that immunostaining. This is how these experiments were done. Now, in the pituitary, the immunostaining was blocked by adsorption with alpha-MSH or with the adrenocorticotropic hormone, ACTH. Now, beyond that, a few of the patients' sera in this study bound to also to luteinizing hormone, releasing hormone, that's LHRH, and that's found in terminals in the median eminence. But of those, only uh, two-thirds of them also absorbed the LHRH. And that could mean an association with the menstrual cycle. These are all females. Now, this is a preliminary uh, paper, because way back in 2002, but it had been followed through showing that there are autoantibodies to the alpha-MSH and also perhaps to ACTH in anorexic and bularemic patients. Now, that's interesting because we know that those are psychological neuropsychiatric disorders that are associated with the lack of leptin ability to induce the appetitive phase. So, In other words, leptin's functioning correctly there, even with small amount of adipose, particularly in the anorexic patients. It's functioning correctly to induce the appetitive cycle, but what it's not doing is getting received. And the reason it's getting received is because antibodies are being generated. Now, that's a very curious thing, right? So anyways, that's something I wanted to bring up to you. So let me go through this real quickly. 
The arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus contains opposing orexigenic neuropeptide Y, agouti-related protein neurons, and anorexic pro-opio-melanocortin neurons. And both of those tend to regulate, among other things, food intake and energy expenditure by integrating signals of energy status from multiple hormones that are downstream from that initial induction, but also nutrients, including, remember from the last lecture, free fatty acyl-CoAs. Now, exposure of cultured NPY neurons to palmitic, palmitil-CoA increases NPY and messenger RNA, and this effect is blocked with a pretreatment with anti-inflammatory drugs. That suggests that the fatty acid-induced inflammation may be a mediator for altered NPY messenger RNA transcription. Okay. Now, obesity is linked to an increase in POMC message. As POMC levels are decreased with prolonged caloric restriction. So this hypothalamic prohormone POMC gene has three axons with the translation start site actually at exon two and has this sequence-specific pro-hormone convertases I just went through with you that cleave at dibasic sites. I didn't tell you the detail there, but now I am comprising lysine and arginine residues, the two, two basic amino acids. So the peptides that are generated include the ACTH, which is, of course, the adrenocorticotropic hormone, the CLIP, the corticotropin-like intermediate peptide, the beta-LPH, right? The beta-lipotropic hormone, the beta uh, EP, remember that one, and which is beta endorphin, and the and again finally the alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone, which act as satiety signals by activating that that particular peptide, of course the melanocortin four receptor. So when you get a dysregulation of POMC by sustained nutrient excess you actually decrease alpha-MSH-inhibited feeding. And that results in increased food intake with obesity, okay? Now, I will note that POMC neurons are selectively targeted for apoptosis as compared to the MPY neurons, which are not targeted. And that suggests a distinct neuronal population difference in their sensitivity to the response of high circulating free fatty acid, which occurs in obesity. So that means the adipose tissue derived adipokine leptin triggers POMC transcription and translation in the arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus, but it inhibits the NPY and the agouti-related peptide expression. Thus, it acts as a rheostat for satiety. But I have to say one more thing. Alpha-MSH is also immunosuppressive and it can act as an antimicrobial peptide. That represents a vestigial evolutionary pathway that predates the sophisticated mammalian immune system. Finally, I'll say that low levels of serum alpha-MSH can suggest low expression due to leptin resistance, due to excessive visceral fat, as associated with obesity or a lack of expression 
due to very low levels of depot fat is in the calorically restricted lean patients, such as those of anorexia and bulimia, you see? So rather than being a biochemical contradiction here, which I always like to bring up, it is another example of a contrarian motif in metabolic homeostasis. The rule of the excluded middle term in Aristotelian logic is therefore preserved in both lean and obese individual. Metaphorically, I can say that when describing the lean individual, the middle is indeed excluded. And a cursory examination of the obese individual reveals that the middle is unfortunately not excluded. While this may appear paralogistically suggestive, I would say on the contrary, it is eo-ipso, either or. Okay, so now you've got a very good story that we can hopefully <laughs> lead back into the AMP kinase pathway. Okay, so we, we, okay, so now, here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Activation of AMP kinase increases appetite. So AMP kinase, as it turns out, is also highly expressed in the arcuate and dorsal medial and paraventricular and ventromedial nucleus, as well as the lateral hypothalamic area, the LHA. So you have AMP kinase expressed in the ARC, the DMH, the PVH, the VMH, and the LHA. Those are all part of the hypothalamus. That's where AMPK is highly expressed. So the hypothalamic AMK, AMPK, must be very significant because it's playing a role, maybe an adaptive role, in physiological regulation of feeding. Because remember, it's going to be turned on when you need to make ATP, right? That's what this is all set up to do when you need to synthesize ATP. So it's a catabolic mode, right? So that's one of the other reasons too why amp kinase would increase appetite because you need to bring in more calories, right? You need to bring in more calories and you need to make more ATP, you need more energy, right? So fasting, as it turns out, increases but refeeding inhibits the AMP kinase activity, particularly in the hypothalamic region, okay? So that means the hypothalamic AMP kinase plays a very significant role here. In fact, if you have a hypothalamic AMP kinase dominant negative isoform, they decrease expression of the that would decrease the expression of an orexigenic neuropeptide, of course, and that would be the agouti-related peptide and neuropeptide Y, all in the arcuate nucleus. Now, overexpression of AMP kinase, the opposite of a dominant double negative, overexpression of AMP kinase constitutively active. We're going to call the AMP KCA. That kind of isoform elevates the fasting-induced expression of agouti-related protein and MPY in the ARC, as well as the expression of the melanin-concentrating hormone, which is, which is expressed in the LHA. So 
AMP kinase modulates the expression of NPY and pro-opiomelanocortin by regulating autophagy. Now, a, a short uh, uh, understanding, so I tell you real quickly, a dominant negative means this. A dominant negative in genetics is a mutation where the gene product adversely affects the normal wild-type gene product within the same cell. Usually occurs if the product can still interact with the same elements as the wild-type uh, product, but it blocks some kind of aspect. For example, a mutation in transcription factor that removes an activation domain but still contains a DNA binding domain, right? That product can then block the wild tri-transcription factor by binding the DNA site, therefore reducing gene expression. Another example of protein that is functional is a dimer. A mutation that removes a functional domain but retains a dimerization domain would cause a dominant negative phenotype, see? Because some fraction of the protein dimers would be missing one of the functional domains. And of course, constitutionally active just means the genes always transcribe regardless of any kind of regulation. So I just wanted to give you those definitions because we were talking about an amp kinase dominated negative, which decreases the expression of the agouti-related protein and overexpression, remember, elevates the expression of agouti-related protein MPY. So now you've got the whole genetic story um, as well as the biochemical and the physiological stories. So we have covered all of the ground necessary um, today. So I did get back to AMP kinase and amazingly, unlike the last two lectures, uh, this lecture will not be cut off in the middle of a sentence because I've got a few seconds left. And this is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest on the 20th of December, 2021, saying bye for now.